Well, good morning, Heartland. Cornerstone. Times like these reveal what our lives are built on. And Jesus is the cornerstone that we're trying to build our lives on. That a lot of us have said, he's the one that I want to build my life on. And so as we sing that song, I feel like some of you are invited to make Jesus your cornerstone. Maybe for the first time or the umpteenth time. But there's an invitation from God to say, build on me. I'm the secure one. As everything shakes, I'm the secure one. Build your life on me. So whether you're seven years old or 70 years old, I just want to invite you to say yes to Jesus today. Tell him that you want to build your life on him, the cornerstone. And you want to live in the goodness of God that doesn't change in spite of all that's going on around us. Actually, I'm going to pause right now and just pray for you. And you can pray these words after I say them in your heart, out loud, however God hears your prayers. Dear God, moments like this show me where I'm building my life my foundation. Today, I choose you, Jesus, as my foundation. I let go of things in my past and I confess that I need you, Jesus, to be my foundation. In his name, amen. Things change when you make that decision when you submit to God. And, and we just want to do that together today as we're in living rooms and basements and all over. We just believe that we're making this confession together and saying that, God, you are our secure foundation. Yesterday, uh, we got to be part of providing healing to our neighbors here in town. We were part of a harvester's food distribution site, 232 cars representing over 2,000 people that received access to food that they wouldn't have had otherwise. We get to be a part of God's hands and feet in the world, providing help for our community in this moment. We want to invite you to, uh, to give so that we could continue to do that. Uh, there's a special fund. If you go to heartlandchurch.org and click the Give Online, you can give to the COVID-19 Care Fund. Go directly to helping us do what we're already doing and as the needs are ever increasing in these coming days. It's, uh, it's good to be together today because we get to be together virtually and we want to offer you a couple ways to interact. One is uh, on a Zoom meeting room and that is to be prayed for. We can't pray for you physically here, but we want to pray for you in the ways that we're able to today. And so... There's a, a info at heartlandchurch.org, and there's also info on the slides on your screen. You can access that way to be prayed for. And another way to interact is through a Connect Zoom meeting. And this is a place where you can just interact with what God is saying to you today and what you're going to do about it. And we want to do that with you. So there's a couple ways for you to keep interacting outside of just the live stream. Uh, and we're just so glad that we get to do this. Seth Davidson uh, is going to come teach in just a moment, uh, and we are so excited 
to hear God's truth, where it meets us where we're at in this moment. Last week, I taught about being a dealer of hope. What does it look like to move from fear and begin to give hope to those around you? Hope can look like a lot of things. It can look like chocolate chip cookies delivered at a, at a safe social distance to your neighbors. It could look like sending a text to a person who you know is crippled with anxiety right now. It could look like you reaching out to the local nursing home and just asking what you could do to help them in this season. We get to be people who spread hope. It's not a limited commodity. Like God's hope, God's goodness, infinite, without end, without bound. And we get to be ones who deal that out. So today, my prayer is that you would have ears to hear God's word through Seth's message and that we would be hope dealers. Thanks for being here. Well, thanks, Shibu, and gosh, it is good to be together, though we're not physically present. I love that we are together here and in living rooms and basements and all over the place throughout our city, and it's very awkward that we're both wearing blue button-down shirts, but, you know, it happens. We'll, We'll roll with it. Well, when was the last time you attended a really great parade? Well, up until about five years ago, I thought parades were overrated, that it was kind of much ado about nothing. But what I've come to experience is the best part of a parade are those moments right before it happens, where the atmosphere of excitement, of the anticipation at the beginning of a parade is palpable. Have you experienced that at home? When was the last time you experienced that? Well, maybe you were part of the great celebration that happened after 30 years of drought of our boys in blue when in 2015 they returned as champions, being crowned kings of royalty in baseball. Though they had wound up 90 feet short the year prior, in 2015 they won it all and came back to Kansas City and were awarded with a royal welcome. Maybe you were part of the 800,000 strong that showed up to welcome them back. My family attended. My wife called and and reserved a, a, a party bus and we invited 30 of our closest friends and we got there early and we were like five or six rows back, three hours early with all these young kids. And at first it was difficult, but then the energy started to mount. And and I think we have a picture here uh, of myself and my son, Drew. He was five. And this is about two or three minutes before the parade made it our way. And if you'll notice, his little fingers are in his ears because there's energy, there's excitement that's building in anticipation at the beginning of a parade. Well, they say that lightning never strikes twice, but those who do have never been to Kansas City. And they don't know what it's like to be part of Chief's kingdom, and they've never heard of Patrick Mahomes. Because less than eight weeks ago, we gathered again as a city to welcome back. And, and it was cold, but my family and our friends, we loaded the party bus once again. And we, this time, we showed up kind of like right at the beginning of the parade route, kind of like right before it actually started in the staging area, which was the perfect place because we had a front row seat. The kids got to play in a little park area. There were restrooms, but we were right at the beginning, and the excitement and the, uh, the anticipation continued to mount at the beginning of the parade. And so we were the first to see Big Red and Mahomes and Kelsey, and because we were 
in the staging area, the buses actually stopped, and the legion of Zoom got out, and they walked around and gave high five to the kids, and it was incredible. And the players were swept up in the moment as we were, because the excitement and the atmosphere was exhilarating with the anticipation of this parade. Now, I know last week, Shibu got up here, and he shared about his story uh, of being part of the Chiefs Parade, and I was a little miffed because, Shibu, you stole my thunder. Like, this week is the triumphal entry in Luke chapter 19. So to pay you back, I have a picture. Shibu and I, we met out at the, the Chiefs Parade, and here we are, two strapping lads. I'll give you a hint. One of us is wearing adult diapers, and it's not me. And so next time you see him, give him a hard time for that for me, if you will. Well, if you were there, you know what the excitement and anticipation was like at the beginning of the parade. But what I want to tell you is that is nothing compared to the excitement and anticipation that is mounting at the beginning of this parade Jesus has as he's walking or riding into the streets of Jerusalem in what will kick off what we call Passion Week, the last week of Jesus' life. Uh, leading up to Good Friday where he lays down his life for everyone and Easter Sunday where he's risen to life. It all happens here, and I want you to see the anticipation that's just dripping from the text. We're in Luke chapter 19. If you have your Bibles, maybe turn there or or jump on on your mobile device. I'm going to start reading in verse 37, the triumphal entry. Well, when he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, All of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. But he replied, If they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. Do you see it? The anticipation is mounting to an overflow at the beginning of this parade. And Jesus says, hey, if everyone stops singing, the rocks and trees themselves would cry out. Why? Because this is an inauguration. This is a victory parade. This is the coming of the king to establish his kingdom. They know what's happening. They've been waiting for this moment as crowds have been following Jesus all the way from Galilee through Judea, now up to Jerusalem, and he's standing on the Mount of Olives looking down at the city, and crowds have heard, our king is coming, Jesus is here. And so they show up in droves, lining either side, and lay lay down their cloaks, and they take these palm branches and wave them, and they're singing what are called messianic psalms because they know what's happening. This is the return of the king. And the uh, excitement is overwhelming at the beginning of this parade. But interestingly enough, it doesn't happen how they expect. It defies all their expectations of what's going to happen. Because they want, they expect something like this. So as I was thinking of a way to illustrate what they were hoping for, I thought of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. You know, it's this epic battle between good and evil, and towards the beginning, there's Strider. He's this wandering warrior. It turns out he's the king. Well, think about, if you've seen that movie, in the return of the king at the end of the trilogy, they've won. They've conquered the powers of darkness, and so the king returns to Gondor. This is Aragorn, and everyone's there for that moment when the king is crowned. 
establishing his rule and reign. See, that's what they expect, an earthly reign at that point. But Jesus came doing very different things. And there are three things that happen in this text that defy reality for them, what they expect. But I think it will help shape us and encourage us and challenge us even in this time where we are today. Three things happen as we read in Luke chapter 19. First thing we see, Jesus weeps for the city. Jesus weeps for the city. The very few next verses go like this. But as he, Jesus, came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way of peace. But now it's too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in its place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. A way a different translation reads that last phrase is you didn't realize the time of the Lord's visitation. And so when Jesus returned, among the first things he did was he wept for the city. Jesus wept for the city, for the people, for God's people, those whom he dearly loved. He knew they would reject him. He knew that they would take his life. And he also knew that Jerusalem itself would be utterly destroyed. A prophecy that happened in A.D. 70 where Rome came and conquered Jerusalem and tore down the temple. Not one stone stood on another. And Jesus wept for the city and he wept for the people because they didn't recognize the time of the Lord's visitation. And so Jesus wept for the city. And then throughout this Passion Week, he spends time in Jerusalem and he'll go up the Mount of Olives each night and then return. And on what's likely Tuesday, the text continues in sort of another odd thing that Jesus does again in the last week of his earthly life. Jesus clears the temple, we're told. So then Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people selling animals for sacrifices. He said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. When Jesus returned, he cleared the temple. Well, Jesus knows what's happening in Israel. He knows that he's coming to bring God's kingdom, but it's actually the religious leaders and the nation itself that's standing against him. He sees there an unjust system. He sees money and power and religion commingled. He sees the people that God loves being pushed further and further from God, and he's incensed by what's happening in the temple. But the thing that really sets him off is they're there during Passover during this time. Passover is like the equivalent to our Christmas, Thanksgiving, and New Year's combined. There are 125,000 folks who've descended on Israel, many of whom have been lying in the streets, many of whom are coming to offer sacrifices. And these are many, many poor people who come long distances. And when they get to the temple, they have to purchase animals to sacrifice for themselves there. And they are being charged an astronomical rate. And Jesus just says, enough is enough. And he clears the temple and he pushes over tables and he drives everyone away. When Jesus returns, he clears the temple. 
He quotes Isaiah and says, my house is a house of prayer. It's to connect to God and it's a place of prayer for the nations. But he brings this word of judgment from the prophet Jeremiah who says, but you have made it a den of thieves. And what happens in Jeremiah when that happens is they lose it all. Because God will clear his temple when it defies the things of God. And so I've been just struck by these parallel sort of paradoxical passages that when this king comes, he doesn't do what we might expect. And it goes like this. When Jesus came, his heart was so filled with compassion that he wept for the city. But when he came, the ways they lived their lives and conducted their business and practiced their faith, he found appalling, and so he cleared the temple. His heart is moved with compassion. He weeps for the troubles and the pain of the city, and he's willing to clear the temple of anything that will defy the rule and reign of God. And so I want to uh, pause here. I, I don't know, I can't speak uh, fully or confidently that this is the word of God, what I'm about to say. But as I've been thinking about this, I just wonder if there's some really clear parallels, some things that Jesus might want to say to us today during this unique period we find ourselves in as a society, as a church, and as people living today. I was talking to a dear friend over Zoom this week, and he had this observation that we've all experienced, but it was just put so succinctly when he said, it's amazing how everything can change for everyone in one week. Isn't that true? It's amazing how everything has changed for everyone in one short week. Last Sunday, I was on vacation in Colorado. We were set to ski that first day. This Sunday, I'm speaking from a platform to a room of about eight people, and we are scattered throughout the city. Last Sunday was sort of the beginning of spring break where our kids took a break from classes, and this Sunday, we're preparing to homeschool all of Kansas City tomorrow. We collectively, thankfully not me personally. Last Sunday, in the words of Southwest Airlines, we were free to move about the country, and this Sunday we're preparing for a shelter in place of sorts for at least 30 days. It's, it's staggering. Last year we had a record-breaking economy. Last week we had a historic drop, the worst since 2008. And it's affected all of us, hasn't it? From senior citizens to seniors in high school, from parents who are preparing to homeschool their children uh, to single parents who are trying to figure out how do I work and care for my kids. We have many small business owners who've had to make impossible decisions this week about who can stay and who they have to let go. And we know of some who've, who've been furloughed or laid off already. And as that happens individually, there's this sense of collective social anxiety. And so I've just been struck by this paradox as I've been reading the text, this, this triumphant entry that Jesus has and what we're experiencing right now, where this social anxiety seems to be infectious at the beginning of an outbreak. This is the world that we're living in right now. It's affected you, it's affected me, it's affected all of us. And so what do we do? Where is God in the midst of this? 
And I've been trying to ask a, a really specific question. What is God's perspective about this? And as a result, how, I, how might I and how might we orient our lives appropriately? And here are my thoughts. I believe they're from God for us today. Here's, I think, God's perspective. Part of it, at least. First thing, I believe that Jesus is still weeping for the city, for the people in our world. I believe we have a, a God who's full of compassion, and yes, he's sovereign and in control, but he doesn't just uh, determine how every little thing functions. We're not robots, and we live in a fallen world, and so things like this are natural results of that. And while he didn't cause it, he's not wringing his hands He's able to be near us, but that doesn't mean his heart is not moved. And I believe, just like he was looking at Jerusalem, I believe he's looking at us now. And he is, his heart is moved to tears of the pain that his children, you and I, are experiencing now. He didn't cause it. He's able to be with us, and that gives us hope. He's able to give us his power to overcome circumstances, and that can give us peace. But his heart is not unmoved by where we're at. Jesus said elsewhere in John 16, I've told you all these things so that you may have, so that you may have me, so that in me you may have peace no matter what. He says, in this world you will have trouble. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, he says, I have overcome the world. I believe that as we weep for ourselves and for our city, we have a God who weeps with us and weeps for our city and the people too. But there's a second thing I believe from God's perspective. It's this, that Jesus, though he didn't cause this, Jesus can use troubling times to clear the temple, whatever that looks like in society, in the church, in our lives, he can use troubling times to clear the temple, and that can allow us to refocus on the things that matter most. These are unprecedented times. We've never been there before. There are unbelievable challenges that you and I are experiencing, and those likely will continue for a while. And so I don't mean to, to share like, hey, it's a bed of roses or, hey, there are some silver linings, but I do want to encourage that there is a great opportunity. Because during this time, if we can allow God to use it to clear the temple in such a way that we can refocus our lives on the things that matter most, to consider this is a time of the Lord's visitation. He didn't cause it, but he is here with us. He's able to change our perspective. He's able to get us in touch with his spirit. And if he has to, to sweep everything away and clear the temple, are we ready to listen? I was struck by those words in Luke 19, verse 45. A different version puts it like this. Going into the temple, Jesus began to throw out everyone who had set up shop. He began to throw out everyone who'd set up shop. It's so easy to set up shop, isn't it? To be comfortable with our own lives, to be worried about our own business. But it's really uncomfortable when everyone's been thrown out and we can no longer set up shop. And I have some thoughts maybe to share with you personally, but I want to share some thoughts that we've had related to Heartland, us, corporately. 
You see, we've had a, a vision since, since the early days of Heartland of, of being the church among the unchurched, that there'd be a place for people who don't do Jesus uh, to experience Jesus in a community of faith. That's been our heart. But times have changed over the decades, and we realize less and less people will come to a building. So we're trying to figure out how do we equip the church, which is Heartland, all of us, to go out where God has us. And so in recent uh, the last couple of years, we begin to state our mission a little bit differently in ways that each of us hopefully can grab a hold of, where we just say, we want to be people who make space for building relationships to make Jesus first. Because if we can do that, if we can make space in our lives to do the things that matter most, to build relationships with God and with others, that can expand what God wants to do in our city, in our world. That, that's our hope during this time. Well, what's happened in the last week is that just like our society is just in turmoil, so are our churches. We can no longer meet here. But what's just happened? The church is now in all sorts of, this church is meeting, I should say, in all sorts of neighborhoods and places. We have been thrown out <laughs> And I believe in so doing, we can have an even greater impact. We have that opportunity, at least, if we'll take this as God having cleared the temple of some good stuff, but also creating some ways to do some new things. We believe that that's possible. And so we've been trying for a while to find ways we can push out things that might be helpful to you, streaming, streaming these services, as example. Our daily online journey devotional, along with our online podcast, we're trying to push out to you. But this is also giving us opportunity to find new ways where you can engage uh, with things like our, our online prayer or the connection experience right after the service. Or throughout the week, you can tune in through Zoom as well. We're trying to find ways where we can be the church, even though we can't gather right now, where we can be the church and then we can Go and invest and care for those around us who are in the same turmoil we are. For me, the long-term tragedy of this will be if the church either just hunkers down during this time and misses the opportunity in front of us to be and bring good news where we are. Or maybe we'll make some changes and we'll make an investment, but then at the end of this, and it's, this will pass, We'll have a desire to just go back. No, Jesus is bringing his kingdom. This can be the time of the Lord's visitation. Our greatest hours and years could be ahead of us as we follow what God wants to do in the world because believe me, the heart of Jesus still weeps for our world and he loves us enough to clear the temple here uh, in our churches and in our lives to do that so that he can be God and we're not. And so that we can take the good news of his message and the care of his compassion that lives within us through his spirit out to the world. So what about you? The temple of your life has been cleared over the past week. You've got a clean slate I understand there are challenges, significant challenges, believe me. But what adjustments are you going to make? What are those significant things that are so important that you have to maintain and expand? Things like prioritizing relationships over activity or giving up your own need to be in control, to be able to trust 
in God or others. Or, or you trying, you or I trying to create our own kingdom as opposed to trying to join God in what he's doing and making a difference for those around us. There are opportunities in front of you, friends, wherever you are, whatever your age. Will you make space? And will you make the most of that space? Will you build and cultivate relationships? And will you use this as a time where in whatever ways it looks like, you can make Jesus first in your life so that he can use your life to allow others to make him first in ways that transform their lives, their experience now, and their lives forever. You see, social anxiety is infectious at the beginning of an outbreak, but it does provide the opportunity to usher in God's kingdom like never before. So earlier this week, I had a chance to jump on a, a sort of a teleconference with a, a pastor from uh, Sierra Leone, and he had lived through the Ebola crisis that hit West Africa in 2014. It, was a, it became a global pandemic where about 28,000 cases related or resulted in 11,000 deaths, and it just ripped apart Sierra Leone and Guinea and Liberia and others. But they lived through, and the podcast was, was entitled, uh, How to Survive and Thrive in the Midst of a, a Pandemic, the Ebola Pandemic. And there were a number of incredible things that I gleaned that he was able to share. Things like, you know, they worked as a team. Everyone had to come together the churches, yes, but also the churches and the community. Everyone had to work together to overcome the common foe, which they were able to do. And he said, as a result, it built relationships that they couldn't establish before. They hadn't been able to. And those relationships not only endured, but they continued to grow and foster. And that allowed for God's continued movement in their communities. But the thing that just wrecked me and that I found such hope in wasn't so much the exact things he said, but it was the tone and the tenor of his voice. Because what I experienced on that call is they had lived through the, the pandemic as the church individually and collectively had survived and then thrived was the sense of joy and depth that came when they collectively decided to give their lives away on behalf of Jesus and the community that they were a part of. They gave it away. Some of them wound up losing their lives, but collectively they gave their lives away and it transformed their personal lives, it transformed their church, it transformed their community, and it has the power to transform the world. So I'm going to invite the band to come up as we conclude together. Friends, our society, friends, our churches, you and I, we can survive, we will survive. We will and can even thrive both in the midst of and on the end of this crisis as well. I believe that. I believe that. And so my encouragement for us, if these thoughts reflect Jesus' perspective on this outbreak, what should our perspective be? And I'll just remind us of those three things. First is that I believe Jesus weeps for the city, and so should we. 
Jesus weeps for our city, for our community, for our neighborhoods, and so should we. When we have eyes for others, it takes the focus off of our own troubles. And it causes us to see and, and to weep, and that can lead into prayer. We can pray for those around us. I think that's where it often begins. God will show up. He will change us, and he will use us to change others. He weeps, and so should we. Second thought is Jesus cleared the temple, and we can use this moment, you and I, to reprioritize our lives in light of the things that matter most. You know how to do that better than I do. There are amazing creative opportunities that you have as this deck has been cleared, as your temple has been cleared, you can start new. You can create new patterns. You can develop new relationships. We've got to be creative, but we're already seeing that happening in spades. So we just encourage you to make space, to fill that space with the right kinds of things, to use it to build relationships, maybe with your little family, or your group of friends, or, or a few folks, or maybe you've been around Heartland for a while, and now is your time to reach out to others. Or maybe it's time to band with others you're already in relationship with to say, who are the, the ones who need it most? The hope and encouragement of Jesus during this time. It's time for you to be the church, to be and bring the good news of Jesus where he has you, here and now. He's cleared the temple. Let's use it. And finally, Jesus gave his life away. And when we follow his example, our world will never be the same. It was true for Jesus. It was true for the believers in Sierra Leone during the Ebola epidemic. It will be true for us. When we follow his example, it will change our lives and it will change the world around us. Jesus said, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus didn't avoid trouble. Jesus didn't march away from the cross. Jesus walked into it. Jesus willingly gave his life as a ransom for many. Church, will we do the same? Now can be our greatest hour, not because the strength is in ourselves, but in the power of Jesus and the movement of his spirit, which is there in your living rooms and basements as much as it is here. Now is Jesus' time Now is our time. Let's pray. Let's seek him. Let's allow him to do his house cleaning in us so that he can use us to change the world. Are you with me? Let me pray. Jesus, you said in this world we have trouble, and this is unprecedented trouble. There's no way to deny it. But we say that you're sovereign and that you're good and that your presence and your power are with us individually and collectively here and now. And we plead uh, for that, Jesus. Give us an extra measure of your grace and wisdom and your power wherever we're at, whatever our circumstances are. Give us eyes to weep for the city, for particular people and places and move us to prayer. Lord, as you've cleared the temple in so many ways, will you reestablish it in ways that are of you to to make a difference for us individually and collectively and for our society? And will you give us the courage and confidence to trust in you enough that we can give our lives away and that we would experience the joy and depth and hope that that comes? 
and that we may be a part of ushering in your incredible kingdom and the things that you want to do here and now. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.